Hey there, MedTech Talk folks. This is Tom Salami. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. We're going to talk a bit about strategic investors today. In fact, we'll be talking about them a lot at the MedTech Conference, which is happening on May 31st in Minneapolis. Our podcast guest today is Ann Sissel. She is the Vice President of Ventures at Baxter International. She's also heading up a panel called How Can Startups Get the Most Out of Working with Strategics? It's clear that strategics are becoming bigger players in startup financing and development. So we wanted to have a panel where we could talk to startup CEOs who have worked uh, heavily with strategics and have different experiences to tell. So go to medtechconference.com, check out the agenda, see who the panelists are. They'll be talking with Ann Sissel of Baxter. Today I talked to Ann about how she found her way into medtech what her experiences have been working with early stage startups, what early stage folks need to do to get Baxter as an investor. And they, she gives an email in this podcast as to where people can send proposals. And finally, we talk about the panel and what she wants to uh, accomplish. So it's a very great interview. If you want to be there in person on May 31st, go to medtechconference.com. It's really easy to remember, medtechconference.com. And uh, register. Uh, our rate is now uh, twelve ninety five. If you use the code Sissel uh, for uh, Ann, you'll save two hundred dollars because she's on our advisory board. So there's a little secret right there, and uh, you'll be able to uh, spend a great day in Minneapolis, which is not hard to do. It's a great town. So now let's get into this conversation with Ann Sissel of Baxter International. <laughs> Well, Ann Sissel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be with you today. Excellent. Well, we're very happy to have you uh, chairing a very interesting panel at the MedTech Conference, which we'll get into in a little bit. But uh, as folks know, I like to start this podcast finding out more about our guests and having them share their stories, particularly the story about their uh, finding a way to MedTech. I think those are always interesting. So uh, what, what was your path? How did you find your way uh, into MedTech first? And then we'll get into Baxter a little bit later. Sure. Really found my path into med tech through the finance route. And it was never, I uh, don't have a science background or really any formal training there, but always really appreciated the math, the economics, the statistics work uh, that I had done kind of really through school and found my way into banking. And as luck would have it, that brought me into healthcare and had never really considered it before then but really started to learn about the complexities of the healthcare system, the appreciation for how many stakeholders are really involved in making every decision uh, for our patients, which is, you know, all of us are a patient at some time or another and often are dealing, you know, with the broader community. And so it was this great way to bring my math education, the finance training, into really building businesses that could still impact um, the patient community, the healthcare community, from an area that I had uh, built some strengths. So, what was the moment? When did you first step on that med tech train? I'd say it was between uh, my first and second year of business school uh, when I was an intern at Goldman Sachs in New York and was starting to do the work on uh, representing Johnson and Johnson on the acquisition of Guidant, and this was 2004. Wow. Uh, before the first deal was announced in November of 2004, 
Um, so when I first started working on that over the summer and understanding uh, the types of devices and the opportunities to really treat different types of conditions, and particularly in the cardiovascular space, uh, with a device um, that is explainable, that can be understood using math and science, um, as well as kind of engineering, but all these things that to me as a statistician were very explainable. Uh, then when I came back after business school to Goldman, uh, had the opportunity to work on the team that did renegotiate um, the acquisition of Johnson & Johnson. Mm -hmm. And again, that was also in, in November 2005 after uh, Guidant had the, the MAC in the third quarter of that year and really started to see that that you know, thesis play out. So then as I continued my career in M&A, I uh, continued to stay in the med tech universe, really focused on core med tech companies, and then also diagnostics companies, which also followed that thesis of having a strong math and statistics background would really help explain and understand the market in a way um, that resonated with me. Uh, so continued to work on deals in that space and then moved to San Francisco uh, to continue to build that out. I moved to San Francisco with Goldman um, right as those companies were turning uh, into, you know, highly financeable companies into more M&A. They were getting the capital backing to start doing more strategic transactions. Uh, moved to San Francisco to continue that journey and uh, very much kind of worked on that through and even into the startup world. So you're working on a higher level on some of the bigger deals ever in MedTech. How did you find your way to earlier stage venture, ventures? Because I think it's a, it's a different skill set and you really need to have a, a strong passion for innovation and for startup companies. Definitely. You know, through my banking career, I saw the opportunities that these large established companies had in bringing innovative new products to market. Um, but I saw so much more potential. And when the idea and the business plan and kind of the early stage of Verisite got presented to me, and it was presented to me through a couple different angles and, so, and, to, and different representatives of the company, um, at that point, it, it, it was a business plan that fit such an important patient need. And the ability to use genomic tools, which were truly on the cutting edge of, of healthcare and innovation, um, at the time seemed to me as this great opportunity to really build something that I believed in the market opportunity. I believed in the tools that were going to be used uh, to develop the company. Um, and that great combination um, just really appealed to me. I thought the, the CEO, Bonnie Anderson, is just phenomenal. And the ability to work for her and to learn from her um, was incredibly exciting to me. We had a fantastic board. It was a very, very early Series A company that had been incubated um, within the Kleiner versus TPG portfolio. And then on top of that, too, is you know, the founder of Digene, uh, Evan Jones, was also on the board, and I had represented Kyogen on the acquisition of Digene. So it was this great bringing together of ideas and people and a real market need and the technology that to me felt like such a win that I didn't think so much of it as small company, large company, but what a tremendous opportunity to really uh, make an impact in healthcare. And how do you feel about the uh, the, the, the San Francisco area as a, as a med tech hub? Do you need to? Is it? Do you get a sense that it is what it was uh, in terms of med tech innovation? Do you need to be centered there? You're now working out of Chicago. You obviously get to see a lot of opportunities there as well. 
Is there is there a strong is, uh, a focus on the San Francisco area being sort of the med tech capital of the U.S.? The many, many talented people and talented ideas that you have in San Francisco um, really is difficult to replicate. And I think that there is a tremendous amount of value there. Um, but I also think fresh ideas and perspectives really can you know, drive new innovation so that it's not as critical that you're in, and you're in San Francisco. And I think however you choose to get exposure to innovation and to top talent and ideas and people really driving change is important. And, you know, being in San Francisco, and I do think spending time there, at least from time to time, um, does help shape ideas and, and helps us all grow because you really do have so many fantastic leaders. I think over time, though, we're seeing um, more fantastic entrepreneurs and ideas and companies really disperse uh, throughout and throughout the world, uh, just as capital and people become even more mobile uh, the ability to join a video conference, a phone call, um, you know, anytime all over the world and, and it really be like you are in the room, I think is certainly a technology that is enhanced. I think sources of capital have also really changed, um, you know, over the years too. We obviously do have a number of really fantastic med tech funds that have not only raised capital, but been, you know, oversubscribed in some of in their funds, which I think is fantastic. Um, but the changes to the regulatory environment, the changes to the reimbursement environment have really forced med tech companies to be much more thoughtful and creative about how they're finding capital. And sometimes that means you have to be more attuned to the family office, to the strategic venture capital. And strategic venture capital could be payer provider uh, corporation like, like a Baxter Ventures. Um, in driving how that company moves forward. And so those type of opportunities, I think, make, um, you know, geography a little bit less important. But uh, we obviously do have a lot of respect and appreciation for some of the things that, that have been created out of the Bay Area. And I think it'll continue to be a leader. Absolutely. No, there's certainly something nourishing about going over there and, and kind of getting re-energized with that, uh, that innovative spirit, no matter... Uh no matter whether or not you find it in other pocket in pockets in other parts of the U.S., it's it's unique. I'm curious, did your work in medtech? You mentioned early on that uh, you know it, it you can have a personal connection to healthcare, um, and you know I've I have found I know others have found where their work has sort of touched parts of their lives. Maybe they were help able to help a family member, or uh, or just had a, a personal passion about uh, an area within healthcare. Did did you ever do, do, have you had that personal connection where you work? And healthcare and medtech has uh, has uh, made an imprint on a, on a, uh, an aspect of your life outside of work. Yeah, a great example is um, you know my work at Verisite. Um, as we were coming to commercialization on Affirma, which is the thyroid classifier, um, I had a friend going through thyroid cancer um, treatments, and well, at that point it was um, you know a large nodule and. This person was very keen to understand her options before going through and, you know, firsthand seeing how challenging that decision was of, gosh, it's indeterminate. The nodule is indeterminate or suspicious by cytopathology. Do I go and have this major surgery? It could be cancer. It might not be. And to really be able to be part of a company that provided 
the tools to make a more informed decision um, was really encouraging to me and, and very exciting that I could be part of her patient journey and provide her more information that she could use to impact her care. And I think before that, you know, when you're an advisor and you're on the banking side, um, you see the stories of the patients, you understand how important the work is that you're doing. Um, but until you do that firsthand of something that you are creating and that you are pouring your heart and soul into actually firsthand is impacting um, somebody very close to you, I think is one of the most rewarding things um, that we can do as we think about our careers and, and how we choose uh, to spend our working lives. Absolutely. No, it's one of the, the better parts of working in the sector is those uh, those personal connections and the, and the and the, the difference you feel like you can directly make on uh, on someone you know and love. So let's move into uh, Baxter Ventures. How did you find your way uh, into Baxter and in, in investing on Baxter's behalf? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great story. It's We're doing so many fun things at, at Baxter Ventures, and it's been a company I've been so proud to call home now uh, for over four years. Um, my first engagement actually with Baxter was um, when I was in college, and I had an offer to join and had a really great experience with the Baxter team at that point um, and always remembered that. And then when I was uh, at Goldman Sachs, um, I covered Baxter, and so I did interact with uh, some of the people. I knew the company. I knew some of the products. Um, and then when um, you know Verisai had gone public, and I was thinking about next steps, a friend from business school had said, "Hey, you know, Baxter's looking for somebody to lead medtech investing," and it almost just felt like this is exactly what uh, you know how things are supposed to go. Um, so a little bit of a history, enough relationship there with the company and a really great opportunity. And, you know, over you know, the last four years, we've really seen that evolve. Um, Baxter Ventures was formed in 2012 with a grant of $200 million from the board of directors and was led by just a tremendous venture capitalist and, and Gita Vimuri. And she really taught me, um, you know, how to think about, you know, how corporate venture sits within the, the broader ecosystem. And, um, you know, through when I first started, when we still had Baxalta as part of the business to the split, and then now seeing Baxter grow and flourish as a culture, as a innovative company, um, has really just been a tremendous gift. Um, it's taken, a, you know, a lot of really wonderful, talented people who have been completely and solely dedicated on uh, serving our patients and and building new sources of innovation um, in such a disciplined uh, way that has just been it's been a tremendous way to be uh, to be part of this team. Hey everyone, Tom here. I'm going to take a quick break from this conversation to give you an update on Healthogy. You probably know Healthogy is the producer of this podcast and the MedTech Conference, which is happening on May 31st in Minneapolis. What you may not know is that we're actually putting on two more events prior to that conference. We have two new events to our lineup, the Aesthetics Innovation Summit. That's happening on April 25th in New York City. And the Respiratory Innovation Summit, that's happening on May 19th in San Diego. We're partnering with clinical societies to put on single-day events centered on innovation in those specific areas. So if you are the CEO of a device company, 
in either aesthetics or respiratory or pulmonary, check out our websites. Go to attendais.com for aesthetics or attendris.com for respiratory. That's A-T-T-E-N-D-R-I-S or A-T-T-E-N-D-A-I-S.com. And uh, they're going to be great events. You need to be there. Check them out. Now let's get back into this conversation. Has it played out as you expected it would joining a, a corporate venturing unit? Did you anticipate that you might be working on, on larger deals or maybe later stage deals and you've gone earlier than you thought? Uh, how, are things, uh, how are things different than perhaps you expected them to be? You know, this is my first role on the investing side. And coming in, I don't know if I had exact expectations for how things were going to evolve. And I think that's actually worked really in my benefit. If I had come in and say, this is exactly the way I want to see things and how things are going to work and learn. Um, you know, it's after four years and a lot of changes to the business. I don't know if that, that thesis would have played out. I think what has really worked is to recognize the opportunity at hand and realize the role that corporate venture can play within the broader innovation ecosystem at Baxter and really continue to seek those opportunities to learn, to be challenged, to challenge others uh, as we think about innovation. And I think first and foremost, that had been the expectation of, okay, this is the goal of how we're going to bring innovation, um, you know, to a large cap uh, medical technologies company. And how that occurred has certainly taken a lot of iterations, and rightfully so, um, that I think has led to a really strong foundation that we have today with eight portfolio companies uh, and three outside the U.S., five in the U.S., really across the device monitoring and any health space. Uh, and so that was really my goal was at the 30,000-foot at the level and how that's been affected um, has really followed the path of the organization through uh, a lot of changes. Let's talk a bit about what Baxter Ventures is looking for for its portfolio. What qualities does a startup need to have? to be something that uh, you'd consider investing in? The right companies for a Baxter Ventures investment, I think, are those first that fit within the mission of, of Baxter, which is saving and sustaining lives, and within the patient populations that uh, we serve, which is primarily within the hospital and then also the renally compromised patient, both in the hospital, at the home, and in the clinics. Uh, so there has to be that strategic angle of a technology that, that really fits within those factors. Then as we think about the markets and the technologies of interest, we do look across the spectrum of med tech. So devices, monitoring tools, e-health tools, um, and, and, you know, variations of those, those different types of uh, areas is are they addressing a real unmet need with a meaningful market opportunity behind them? Is their technology disruptive and innovative in a way that has leadership potential? Uh, I think are the real kind of technology and market considerations that we have within that grouping. And then as importantly is thinking about the team around that company. Uh, the investors, the advisors on, on the various boards, and as, as most importantly, within the management team themselves. Um, we always talk about in venture, is it the jockey or is it the horse? And, you know, a lot of research has been done to show how important 
um, the team and the execution is behind any given technology. So we really factor all of those different pieces of thinking into the analysis. Uh, so when we look at our portfolio today, you can kind of line up where each company would fall within a business unit or potentially, you know, as we look forward into more disruptive technologies, and we also define disruptive technologies as business model innovations as well. It can be a technology, it can be a change to a business model um, that we really find appealing. And when we think about business model innovations, I think we recognize how much is happening in the healthcare sector today as we really push for value and quality and good outcomes um, and recognize that reimbursement models are really changing. So we think there's a tremendous opportunity within ventures as well to look at the business model innovations. So what does that mean, a business model innovation? Is that a, a services company, something that's delivering care differently and, and saving some money that way? Sure, sure. Or we could even be thinking about an analytic solution um, that is providing information in ways that it hadn't been used before, uh, value or risk-based care opportunities that are gathering data uh, and driving new decisions in in a format or form that hadn't been used before, the you know value of keeping patients uh, healthy um, and away from chronic conditions or managing those chronic conditions um, can be done in different environments than necessarily within a hospital setting. How do we think about moving uh, patients more to the home, treating them more? through analytically driven and across uh, geography type of a way. So just to follow up, are you looking to invest in, in companies that operate only within existing Baxter businesses, or are you also looking at things that might fall adjacent or perhaps farther afield than what Baxter is currently doing? Yeah, we're definitely looking beyond the six core business units of, of Baxter into those disruptive technologies and business model innovations that are going to shape the future of healthcare. Uh, so we do look at the strategic plans of our six business units and understand where we are today and where our strength and leadership opportunities reside. And then from there, we really do like to extrapolate into more of that white space opportunity. What's two and three steps away from that strategic core is probably those places where a venture investment really has the most value. They're areas that ripe for disruption, have a lot of leadership potential, you know, still have a tremendous amount of risk and opportunity. And so from our vantage point, the more that we can push outside the existing strategic plan while very much serving our mission and our patients, uh, we believe that those are the best opportunities uh, for Baxter Ventures. And what is the best way, and I get this question all the time, but for an entrepreneur to approach Baxter Ventures, is it directly? Do they go through someone in the business unit? What's, uh, what's the most appropriate and effective way to, to have a discussion with you? There's so many different ways. And, you know, um, my team and, and I are, are frequently at, at different conferences, you know, as we will be with you in, Mar in May and have opportunities to talk to entrepreneurs. We're very involved with um, different uh, incubators and accelerators, including MedTech Innovator. Uh, so that's a really great way to get to know us is through various conferences 
and those type of settings. Um, or even just, you know, email us directly. We have an email site at ventures at baxter.com where we will review business plans that come in through us, and we, we do speak about them as a team and, and review those. Um, you, you know, great ideas come from many different sources, and um, we always want to make sure that we're finding the right sources and, and the right opportunities. I'd say the most successful opportunities that have come and ultimately led to an investment have been those really where we have a personal relationship, uh, either through another investor, somebody we've worked with previously, um, or through a warm introduction that somebody we work with a lot and knows the company, knows the technology well, brings it uh, as an introduction to the Ventures team, and then we can go from there. Um, but we are very creative in, in how we look for new opportunities and, and even opportunities that are really early. Uh, we do like to build relationships where we can and where it, make, where it makes sense. So if we're not the right opportunity for investment at that very early stage, well, maybe we will be down the road and uh, want to make sure we're open to that. So this seems like a good time to get into the discussion we'll be having on May 31st at the MedTech conference. Uh, you'll be moderating a panel called How Can Startups Get the Most Out of Working With, with Strategics? Uh, you can, uh, folks can look online at medtechconference.com to, uh, to check out the agenda in this panel. You have Bill Hoffman, Adam Berman, and Connor Hanley. They all have different perspectives and different experiences with strategic investors. My question to you is, and one thing we'll try to delve into on this panel is, how is the relationship between strategic investor and startup and venture capitalists? How has that changed over the last couple of years? Because we talk a lot about strategic investing earlier, but we really want to kind of get into what that means, how the, those relationships have changed. Well, I think in the med tech e ecosystem, as we're seeing fewer and fewer companies formed and, and really grow into successful initiatives, I think the importance of the strategic venture capitalist is that we do bring um, that extra layer of expertise and market understanding um, that I think is really important for these companies that are early stage facing a number of really important challenges and capital constraints that we can help adjust some of those uh, those really important considerations and help to minimize some of that risk over time. Um, and I think that the role that we're playing in this ecosystem is important in ensuring that the long we have a lot of long-term success and a lot of great med tech companies that ultimately are able to bring their technologies and their innovations to the patient. Um, when we have this panel in May. I'm really excited about the group because all three of the uh, leaders that you referenced all come at how they've worked with strategics in very different ways. Um, you know, Tiva is a great example. They have four strategic venture capital groups on uh, and invested in the company versus, you know, the Fire One model, I think, which uh, brings a, a different perspective as well. And we think that each company is unique and how we all work together in this broader ecosystem um, has different opportunities, different challenges, and uh, we talk through all those uh, to make sure that these, uh, these companies become successful. I'm wondering how important it is these days to, to have a strategic investor. There was a time when I think having a strategic invest in an early, investing in an early-stage company was uh, – that company would have been an outlier, would have been an exception. These days, the strategics are playing such a critical role. It almost, I don't think it's reversed entirely, but it certainly is commonplace to, to see a strategic investing in 
early stages. So has now that it's kind of become more common and more accepted, has that made your job as an investor uh, easier? Is it easier to get in on deals? Is it easier to find deals? Do you find like you're you're seeing all the deals you need to see that VCs and, and CEOs are bringing deals your way? Yeah, we, we definitely think that we're seeing both a breadth and a depth of great med tech ideas and, and companies come forth for, for investment. You know, it's been said in many times in med tech that there are different things that you need at a different stage of a VC company uh, back life. And when you think about some of the very early stage uh, venture capital companies is you need that kind of first push and level of expertise for how you develop out your business plan, your technology and regulatory processes. Um, and that is you know, critically important that I think uh, strategic brings that, that knowledge and, and um, experience you know, to fruition. But then as you think about the later stage VCs back companies, at that point, you're really thinking about who's the potential, you know, exit and how do I build that relationship with them and how do I think about important commercial metrics uh, around reimbursement and building a market that you might not be as focused on um, as the earlier stage company might be. And I think through those different stages of a VC-backed company's journey, um, different things become really important in a different way. Uh, we talked earlier about the importance of building relationships uh, with the corporates that may become your partner, your licensor, your acquirer uh, early on. And throughout all of those different places and stages, building that relationship, I think, is, uh, is really important. So let's talk a little bit more about the uh, discussion on May 31st. What are some, uh, give us a few bullet points you think of uh, topics you'll be talking about on the day. Well, you know, with a a panel focused on how strategic corporates work with uh, the early stage venture-backed company, I think we've got a couple of really important pieces for for those in the audience to to really think through different options and and ways to, to work together. One of the things that we're, I think, going to be spending a lot of time on is this idea of selecting the right corporate venture capital group, um, this idea of where are the right relationships and where are the companies that you know, can bring value to, to both sides of the equation to really incentivize all parties to be successful working together and really drive to important outcomes. Um, the questions around how to leverage the resources on both sides uh, in terms of the entrepreneur looking for expertise at the corporate venture level, and then also the CVC working on how to achieve strategic returns on the deal uh, are always these questions that we get asked a lot of. And because so many different models can be successful and so many great CEOs, including those on the panel, that have really leveraged the benefit of the corporate venture groups. And I think that the corporate venture groups that have worked with these uh, wonderful leaders also would say that you know, they've, they've re- achieved the strategic returns they've been looking for as part of their investment. And then on the flip side of that is, is how to think about working together to have a good sale process. Um, so 
as CVCs and looking at them as the potential acquirer of the companies and working through these strategic decisions around uh, a sale. It's how to bring all of these different parties together uh, to really ensure a successful outcome for the uh, the investment at large. And there is no one-size-fits-all. And the important thing around building these relationships and driving to a successful exit um, can be achieved in a number of different ways. And so we're really looking forward uh, to digging into these different ways that, to be successful and really drive value uh, for all the stakeholders and, and for all the work that's really gone into building these tremendous companies. Well, it sounds like it'll be a, a great and an important conversation, I think, for startup executives to hear and to understand how the role of corporate venture investors is changing. So thanks, number one, for leading up that conversation. And of course, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right, let's wrap that up right there. Thanks for joining us, MedTech Talk folks. Great to have you here. If you wouldn't mind helping out the podcast, give us a ranking on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. Subscribe directly to the podcast. That certainly helps. And of course, just tell your friends. Doing uh, doing really well. Numbers are going up. Keep them going. Keep telling your friends. Finally, uh, don't forget, you can reach out to me. My email is tom at healthogy.com. It's the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y.com. As I mentioned in the break, Healthogy is the producer of many fine events, including the MedTech Conference, and now my new baby, the Respiratory Innovation Summit. It's happening on May 19th in San Diego during the annual meeting of the American Thoracic Society. If you want to find out more, again, shoot me an email, tom at healthogy.com, or find me on Twitter, at MedTechTom. That's a wrap. Thanks again. Join us on May 31st in Minneapolis for the MedTech Conference. If you haven't registered yet, can still get some uh, some dollars off your registration fee by using the code SISL. It's Anne's last name. Thanks very much. Have a great week. Tune in next week for another great tale of innovation. It's a big one. It's our 100th podcast next week. Going to have a very, very special guest. So thanks again, folks. <laughs>